This morning's passage comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled, filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, Merry Christmas. Uh, it's great to be together. You know, we saw the snow outside, my kids and I, and the first thing that my daughter said when she saw the snow after screaming for about five minutes uh, was, I can't wait to tell Pastor Tyler at church. Um, it is so much fun to be together as the church family, uh, remembering on this most holy of days, this holy night, the nativity, the time of Jesus' birth. And it's always interesting to me when I come around to this time of year, just how many whacked out versions of the nativity there are, right? I mean, I love creative communication, uh, but I do think sometimes, you know, there's, in my opinion, artists can take a little, go a little too far with their creative license with these nativities. Like, for example, there's a whole nativity with just bears. I, I don't know if you've seen this. Or like a whole nativity with just mooses or mices or meeses, however you say it, mooses. And then, of course, one of my personal favorites, the, the hipster nativity, which apparently um, got a five-star rating for being a really great conversation, conversation starter in peace. Because listen, what doesn't get you in the Christmas spirit? Like selfies, segues, and organic gluten-free feed. Like that's the kind of stuff that usually gets me really excited for Christmas. Now, of course, there are all these ridiculous <laughs> nativities. But, but one thing that's so fascinating that is beautiful about the nativity this moment of Jesus' birth is that there are so many different angles to this robust story. We heard in Luke chapter 2 that some focus on Mary and the courage she has in the midst of this mystery that somehow as a virgin and a teenager, she's going to carry within her womb the Son of God, God incarnate. 
and be the mother to the Messiah. And she says, whatever your will is, God, may it be so. So some folks focus on Mary. Some focus on Joseph, who was going to divorce, you know, Mary in a very honorable way because in that very traditional culture, the shame and and the hurt that would be upon him and his family's name, he was going to do it silently and quietly because he did not want to hurt Mary, but also didn't know what to do until an angel came and told him that this baby is the Messiah. And he's wrestling with what it looks like to now be the stepdad of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Some focus in on the shepherds who hear the great choirs of angels who come and make this glorious announcement of the good news of the sun. Some focus on Bethlehem or in the recent movie, The Star, Bo, the donkey, which is a great creative rendition as well. But there's no room in the inn in Bethlehem. Some focus on the wise men who come a couple years later and come bearing gifts and how each of these gifts have significance that point to who this baby will be. And and all of these points are really good. But I think there's one aspect that this story that we we often miss and and maybe is one of the most important aspects of this story. I think it's often missed because it's harder to commercialize. It's harder to stamp on a stocking. And yet it's, it's one of the most crucial components to this story to foreshadow who this child will be and what he's come to do. And so this morning when we look at the manger, when we look in the stable and we see in that little feeding trough, do you see a lamb? Now, we heard a great imaginative you know, story from Max Lucado who gets our imaginations going about this crippled lamb that that helped warm Jesus. Of course, this fictitious but beautiful little story that stirs our hearts. And sheep are always maybe there in the foreground or the background, but is a lamb ever front and center? Well, it is for John when we come to his gospel account. So I'm curious. I want to start off just by asking this question. When you see a lamb, and I'm not, this isn't rhetorical, okay? When you see a lamb, what comes to your mind? When you see a lamb, like what, what, is the, what are some of the characteristics of a lamb? Feel free to shout it out, fam. Chops. Chops. Oh, man. There it is. Okay. <laughs> that might be my favorite all morning, but there it is. What else do we have? Weak. Weak. Yeah, what else? Wool. Wool. What else? Fluffy. Fluffy. Cute. Cute. Innocent. Yeah, we think of something fluffy, silly, weak. <laughs> cute and fragile, and, and you know, never, never when we look at lambs do we associate the word strong, mighty, you know, grand, and especially this time of year, d- around all the different stories that we do tell, we often much more think of reindeer, or maybe if we're honest, the reindeer, Rudolph, right, um, than we do sheep or a lamb. But not so with John. When we come to his gospel account, he focuses in on a lamb. We've been walking through John chapter 1. Although we read Luke chapter 2 this morning to kind of set the scene, we've been walking through John chapter 1, this Advent, this expanded Christmas season. And what John wants us to see is that the Christmas story is so much bigger than we often think it is. That Jesus didn't begin here in a manger. This was not his starting point. Rather, he was the one before the beginning who enters the world. As we heard this morning, reminded as the light breaking into the darkness. And there, surrounded by sheep, 
we find the Lamb. You know, the first time we actually approach the physical, the God incarnate, the Word become flesh in John chapter 1, the first thing we hear about Jesus when He is approached is through the eyes and the mouth of John the Baptist. And the title that He gives Jesus, the very first time we interact with Jesus in the gospel account of John, the thing that He would have shouted if He was there on one, the most holy of nights that He shouts here, we see in John chapter 1, verse 29, is look or behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's not because Jesus looked like Bob Ross and had some 80s style, you know, perm and was very fluffy or that he was weak or fragile. No. This lamb imagery had nothing to do with how Jesus looked, but had everything to do with what Jesus had to come to do. You see, Jesus came to be the lamb. And for John, when he saw the lamb, it meant sacrifice. It meant bloodshed. It meant suffering. It meant death. And for John, when he saw Jesus, all he could think of to sum up everything that Jesus has come to do, at the heart of it is, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John wants us to know right from the beginning, if he was there at that manger, there at that most holy of nights, he wants us to know that this baby Jesus was born to die. If you look across the four gospel accounts, they start in very different locations, and they actually go about telling the different details of Jesus' life. Not that they contradict, but that they're much more robust and read in concert. But where they all head is to the cross, every single one of them. And through Jesus' death, the sins of the world, the guilt, the shame, the pain, the evil, all of that, your guilt, my guilt, your shame, this world's evil is paid for, covered, atoned. And as we sit here this morning on this Christmas Eve, remembering the robustness of our sin, your sin and my sin, it's much more than just destructive decisions that impact each other, one another. Sin has cosmic ramifications. The sin, the destructive decisions that we make against ourselves, against each other, in collaboration with each other, towards other people, those have cosmic ramifications in that they are a complete and utter affront to God himself, the creator of this world and the good that he's come to bring in this world. And when John looks in the manger... You know what he sees? He sees the answer to your sin and my sin. When John looks in the manger, he sees the answer to a reconciled relationship that has been broken apart because of your sin and my sin with the Creator God. The first thing that John wants you and I to know when we engage Jesus is behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so I started thinking, and, and, and I want to ask this question of you and I this morning. Do you see your sin as cosmic? Do you see your sin as an affront to what God is doing this world over, the good that He's doing? Do you see your selfishness, your pride, your stinginess, your immorality? You name it. Those may be what you consider small or insignificant through your perspective. Sins, do you see them as having cosmic ramifications this world over? 
Now, I know what you may be thinking, because I was thinking about this when I was writing, geez, Gabe, it's Christmas Eve, <laughs> you know? Here we are. This is a moment for, like, warm fuzzies. In many ways, that's beautiful, but we've missed the meaning of Christmas if it's just about warm fuzzies. Christmas is not a time where we come and just try to be better with each other for a bit of a season and try to become better people. Christmas is a time, historically throughout the church, where we remember, first and foremost, we need to be forgiven. We need to be forgiven. See, Jesus didn't just come to show us a better way. He didn't just come to illuminate our path to the best life that we've been designed to live, as good and true as all of that is. But Jesus came and was born to die, to actually make a way for forgiveness, for reconciliation with God, first and foremost, that we might be free. And for generations, we see this to be true. You look across the pages of Scripture. And you see God's fingerprints preparing the world through the various ordained traditions of the sacrificial system where the lambs were sacrificed. And this is reiterated when you get to the New Testament book of Hebrews where the author says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. None. This is the cosmic order of justice. And when Jesus came, he came to pay for what you and I deserved, our payment, our wages, our penalty for our sin, which is nothing less than death, our own bloodshed. And he came as the promised lamb to die in our place. And as we so often hear, one of my favorites is Handel's Messiah. And you have snippets of this all over littered because it's just consumed with Scripture. And one of the places that you see a couple of snippets is in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 9. And I just want to read that over us again. As we think about this babe in a manger, the prophet Isaiah, speaking of the Messiah to come, says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Oh, we like sheep, here we go, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken from the for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. This is who we see in the manger. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it, it should cause us to pause and ask this question. I know we've got a lot of things on our calendar when you think about this next week. Family gatherings or times with friends or traditions that you may have or even getting ready for the new year that's right around the corner. But when we come to Christmas this year, when you look in the manger, do you say, behold the Lamb of God who took my sin? Not just the sins of the world, 
But have you owned that story as necessary for yourself? When you look in the manger, do you see the unending nature of God's love for us? When you look in the manger, when you look in the cradle, do you see the cross? Do you see his answer to your and my cosmic sin? Because when you do, when we actually see that these two pictures are more similar than we ever realized, it transforms what Christmas is. Christmas is more than just a moment for warm fuzzies, more than just a moment for great stories, more than just a moment to stir gratitude for a season. It's a time for worship of our King who is beyond this world, who entered this world not just to live for us and to escape pain, but actually he came strategically, purposefully to die for you and me in the worst possible way. And that, I mean, think about the picture that John's painting here. We've been walking through John 1. He says it's the word who, who is with God and was God and, and was before the creation of the world because through him the world was created. And then he enters this world, the light breaking into a dark world that we've dampened with our sin. And he came into it. He became flesh. One of us to be with us. To conquer the darkness. And out of all the ways that darkness is conquered... We never saw it coming that it was through death, that through his death, that Jesus was born to die and so to defeat sin and death and pain, to pay our penalty, to offer a way of forgiveness and reconciliation with our God. And that should stir something within us this time of year, more than warm fuzzies, more than gratitude, but worship with all of our life, with all of our hearts and with every movement of our hands. And you know John points to this. If you keep following John's writings, you get to the very last book in the Bible, Revelation, which John the Apostle who has penned the, jo- the gospel account we're walking through is the same John who wrote Revelation. God gave him a vision of what's to come. And you know what's interesting? The lamb imagery shows up there more than any other New Testament book. When we look towards the future. We don't just move past Jesus' death onto better and big things. No, no, no. Actually, when you get to the end, lamb is used 30 times, more than any other New Testament book. And what does John see when we get towards the end of history? We see in Revelation chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, and I heard every creature in heaven and every creature on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb... Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. The lamb has defeated death. He's defeated sin. And he's rose victoriously. And one day he's coming again. And so this Christmas, out of all the things, all the ways that we could view the nativity, all the ways we can remember what God did 2,000 years ago in history, Will you see the lamb this year? Will you make the main thing the main thing? When you're telling the story either to your kids or your nieces or your nephews or your friends' kids or when when you're with friends and family, don't shorten the grandiosity of this story. That yes, it's amazing that God became flesh, but he became flesh beyond all reasonable thought and processing. He became flesh to die in the flesh for you and I. 
all who will believe, John says. So let's see him this morning for who he is. Our Savior, our Lord, born of the Virgin Mary, surrounded by sheep, and yet the one true lamb. And in reality, one of the most truest pictures that we could give in the nativity is by switching these around and seeing that the one that Mary is holding is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. God, what we proclaim, what we celebrate together as followers of Jesus is the scandal of this world. One that God would become fleshly, human, that that's even possible. And then secondarily, when you became human, you died. Under the shame and the scourge of the Roman cross. Because we're broken people who have sinned against you, our cosmic creator. God, may the reality of this good news that you've done this for us, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes him will not perish but have everlasting life. May that bring our joy to new heights, our worship to, do, to new depths, and our surrender to an all-encompassing response. Thank you for Christmas. May this mass gathering be about Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen.